Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Sunday Seconds with the Duke here on the MHM Podcast Network. Each episode, we give you our white hat review of films starring the Duke, John Wayne. I'm Chad. And I'm Patrick. We lost our black hat wearing friend, Chris, in the middle of a dust storm. So Patrick and I will be reviewing today's episode, Three Faces West, starring Bernard Vorhaas. And today's film also will feature John Wayne, Charles Coburn, Sigrid Guri and Spencer Charters. Uh, but before we begin, Patrick will dust off and broadcast his summary of this pre-World War II adventure. All right. In the lead up to World War II, refugees from Europe flee to the United States to avoid the horrors of the Nazi regime. The Brauns are two such Austrian refugees. Dr. Karl Braun and his adult daughter Lenny Lynchen Braun appear on a We the People radio show looking for assistance to find a place to live where Dr. Braun can contribute with his medical skills along with the assistance of his nurse daughter. Fortunately, the Braun's call for help does not go unanswered. A small farm town in North Dakota offers to put the refugees up in exchange for their services. The town is located in the area known as the Dust Bowl, where it is subjected to unrelenting drought and nearly constant dust storms. The Brons are met at the train station by a local cowhand, John Phillips, played by John Wayne, and the vet- veterinarian, Dr. Nunk Atterbury. Lynchin immediately takes a dislike to the town as John spends the Brons' first few hours in town, taking Dr. Braun to each of the townspeople who need medical help. Eventually, John takes them back to their residence, which is his home. An ungrateful Lynchin continues to complain about the conditions and insists that she and her father leave the town. A reluctant Dr. Braun agrees, and the two plan to leave the next day. The following morning, John takes the Brauns to church, where they are wholeheartedly welcomed by the townspeople. Dr. Braun is approached by Mrs. Wells after church, and the older woman pleads with the doctor to fix her handicapped young boy, Billy. Much to Lynch's chagrin, Dr. Braun agrees to examine the boy to see if there's anything he can do. John takes Lynchin home so that she can continue to pack. However, Dr. Braun returns home a few hours later and informs his daughter that he's going to perform surgery on Billy the next day and that he will need to stay an additional 10 days to make sure that he recovers. Lynchin is disappointed, but John is excited that the town will have a competent doctor for a few more days. Eventually, Dr. Braun convinces Lynchin to stay with the town, informing her that the town needs them. Lynchin reluctantly agrees. Billy's surgery goes well, and he slowly begins to recover. John attempts to unite the local farmers to change their farming techniques to better use the limited resources that they have. Nevertheless, the farmers continue to pray for what they need most, rain. While the farmers toil in their land, 
John attempts to seek help from the federal government. The Department of Agriculture declines to help the town, but offers John and the farmers an opportunity to relocate and purchase new homesteads in Oregon near a recently completed dam. John rejects the offer since it would require the farmers to go into debt. John gets drunk and returns home. He gets into a fight with Lynchon, who is disappointed in John's despondency. However, the discussion is interrupted with a rainstorm. John and Lynchon are elated and engage in a passionate kiss. The couple discuss their hope of a potential future together. When Dr. Braun returns, Lynchon discusses her future with John with her father. Dr. Braun reveals to her that he has been offered a prestigious position away from the small town. Dr. Braun tells her that he didn't want to inform her of the offer until she didn't want to leave the town. However, Lynchon's happiness with John is soon interrupted when Dr. Braun receives a letter that informs the pair that Lynchon's former fiancé, whom she believed had been killed, is actually still alive. Lynchon's loyalties are tested as she feels that her fiancé helped her and her father escape the Nazis in Austria. Lynchon feels the need to go to him as he travels to San Francisco. Unfortunately, the dust storms return and decimate the town. The townspeople bicker and argue on whether to stay or to make the move to the Pacific Northwest. John champions the relocation and is supported by Dr. Braun. The town people decide to pack up and make the 1,500-mile trip to the undeveloped portion of Oregon in a convoy, convoy of cars. Along the way, Clem Higgins attempts to lead a revolt to divert the convoy to California instead. John tells the group that in California, they will not be farmers, but migrant workers contending with an overcrowded job market. John eventually grows frustrated with the constant challenges from Higgins and abandons the convoy. Higgins takes over as a power-hungry dictator and withholds supplies and money from the rest of the convoy. Dr. Braun convinces John to return to lead the convoy again and to finish his original task. Dr. Braun and Lynchon take a detour on the trip and head off to San Francisco to meet up with Lynchon's fiance, Dr. Eric von Scherer. They find Eric staying at an expensive hotel. They are shocked to learn that Eric has embraced Nazism. The couple's differences in philosophy causes Lynchon to decide not to marry Eric, and she and her father leave to rejoin the convoy. Sometime later, the town settles in Oregon and begins to prosper. The film ends with John and Lynchon marrying in front of the entire town as Dr. Braun approvingly looks on. And that is Three Faces West. Very good, very good. Well, Three Faces West was released on July the 3rd of 1940. If anybody out there has any box office numbers for this movie, <laughs> please email us or leave us a comment on our website because I can't find the crap anywhere. Uh, let's see. Allegedly, it was made for about $100,000, but I don't believe that statistic either. <laughs> let's see here. Other 1940s films or films released in 1940. Uh, the number one movie was Pinocchio. The number two film was Gone with the Wind. Oh, it wasn't released. It was released in December of 39, but it made the second most money in 1940. Third place was Fantasia. Fourth place was Boomtown. Uh, let's see. Sixth place was The Road to Singapore. And the seventh place movie was The Philadelphia Story. Now, I skipped number five because that was the best picture winner from 1940 and that was alfred hitchcock's rebecca good movie really like that one let's see the internet movie database gives this film a score of 
Uh, Letterboxd.com gives it a 3.1 out of 5. 89% of the Google robots knew of this film and actually liked it. There were no critic score, uh, zero critic score on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, but only three, 33% of the audience score liked it. So uh, that's all the stats I have on Three Faces West, and I'm surprised I actually found that many. Yeah, it's hard to find some of those 1930s, and in this case, early 1940, John yeah. Wayne films, because they were a dime a dozen and probably made about that much money. <laughs> yep. Well, I was reading through the list of Martin Scorsese's uh, Republic rediscovered films, which uh, are little-known Republic Pictures films remastered and redistributed by uh, Paramount Pictures and curated by Martin Scorsese himself. Well, today's film, uh, Three Faces West, was on that list, and it caught my eye. As Patrick mentioned in a summary, this film represents a unique time where... America is at the tail end of the Depression era, essentially, and the world is about to be rocked by World War II. And to me, this film gives us a Wild West feel, but does so while featuring like national radio broadcasts and motorized vehicles instead of stagecoaches and wagons. So I guess my question to you, Patrick, uh, were you aware of this film at all, and what was your op opinion of it? and the scope of the film. You, you know, uh, to say I was aware of it, I was aware of a film called Three Faces West uh, because on my Voodoo account, I had purchased it because we were reviewing John Wayne films. One time it was a film that was on sale for five bucks and I went, <laughs> oh, we'll probably review it someday and I purchased it. So that was my awareness of it. As much as I love John Wayne, I've never seen this film. I had never, yeah. I mean, I... I'd seen it on Voodoo as a title, but I, I've never seen it, you know, rebroadcast on television, never watched it on television. This was the first time watching it for me. I, you know, I would have written it off based off the title as just a standard Western. And, uh, and it's, it's not, I mean, it's kind of an amalgam of a kind of a, a depression film and a Western film because there's definitely Western themes in it, but it is not, what I expected it to be at all, just based off the title. But that's l literally all I knew about it was the title. Yeah, same here. Like I said, if it wasn't for reading through the list of uh, Scorsese's pictures that he's redistributed and curated, I would have known nothing about this one for whatever reason. And yeah, it caught me by surprise. Even after reading the brief description I had, uh, it was totally different than what anything I expected. But, hey, that is what it is, and I'm glad I got to see it because it is totally different from most John Wayne films, and even though it is a bit of a Western, but a modernized Western. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very modernized. It reminded me a lot of Grapes of Wrath, although not nearly yeah. as well-made as Grapes of Wrath, um, or to cover the pr Depression, even though it's not really Depression, uh, but you, you see this impact where everybody's got to make this long journey just to merely survive. Yep. Well, John Wayne portrays John Phillips, an honest, hardworking farmer in North Dakota, who is very much entrenched in his co community and functions as the town's de facto mayor. This film features a post-stagecoach, but yet to be megastar John Wayne in it. So I appreciated his time in this film i thought he did a good job with the character he was trying to portray 
uh, no real issues with any of his acting or lines or any of that nature. I mean, it was basically John Wayne being an early John Wayne character. So what did you think of the Duke in this one? I mean, it's, it's different. He does not play the character with a lot of confidence, which is something that I think is later in his career, you know, probably even like even four years later in his career, all, you can almost always see his characters confident in what they're doing. I mean, he, you see his character questioning the things, even when he's getting, uh, you know, peppered with let's go to California when they're on the convoy, you know, he quits cause he doesn't want to deal with it. He just, you know, he doesn't have the, the, basically those leadership skills, even though he's the de facto leader of the town. Uh, and it's, it's, so he's playing vulnerable that I'm not mm-hmm. used to seeing John Wayne in. And to be honest with you, I don't necessarily like it that much. Yeah. I mean, he didn't <laughs> do a bad job at it, but it was not the Duke in the way I'm used to seeing the Duke. Right. Right. Well, I guess, uh, my thought was to follow up on that is, you know, he's got, some pretty hefty cohorts in this movie, primarily an Oscar winner, Charles Coburn, who portrays Dr. Carl Braun is John Wayne's co-lead in my opinion in this film. And I very much appreciated uh, Dr. Braun's character. Immigrants aren't always given a positive spin in films throughout the years. So Dr. Braun's character was a, a bit of a breath of fresh air, Yes, an immigrant who basically becomes somewhat of a pioneer and tries to make a living for himself and his daughter, in the, Lenny, in this film. And I really appreciate the way that Coburn uh, handled this character. So did you agree or disagree with that? No, I, I liked the, the Dr. Braun character. I thought Coburn did a great job in the film. He, he very much humanized it. I mean, he's the heart of the film because mm-hmm. he's the conscience of both his daughter and and he's the one who sways John to return back. I mean, he he he's the um, I don't want to say he's the leader, but he's the conscience of the town. When the town is debating whether to even lead, he kind of supports John, can, and which convinces the town, you know, many of the people in the town, to to leave to go to Oregon. I mean, he's you know even though he's only been there for a short period of time, they look to him for his guidance. Everybody, you know, his daughter, John, the townspeople. And I thought he did a really, really good good job in in, in the film uh, without playing it too heavy handed, if you will. I mean, even when, you know, her uh, Lynch's fiance returns, you, you get the sense that he wants her to stay with John because she'll be happy. But he doesn't tell her that, you know, he supports her decision to go see him. And, you know, and so, you know, also supports her decision to leave him, you know, and return back there that they, he follows through on the actions. He's like the guy who has all the life experiences that none of these other people technically have. Correct. They've all, they're all in that little itsy bitsy area in North Dakota. And he's become a doctor in Europe and had to leave for the safety of his himself and his daughter. And he's seen ugly things and, He's just wanting to be positive about everything and make the most of it. And yeah, those experiences are what he's instilling in John and everybody else. And I really appreciated the way he presented that in this film. No, I thought, I I thought he was a stand as far as actors. I thought he was the standout of the film by far. Yeah. Well, I guess if there was a weak link in this film, (laughs) it would have been Sigrid Gurry's Lenny uh, for me. Uh, Her acting, at least to me was stiff. Her character was a bit stereotypical. 
And I don't believe Miss uh, Gurry's uh, acting career, uh, her personal life, her marriages in real life, any of it lasted very long. And I don't want to bash her too much, but she just didn't come off as a credible character for me. Uh, she was basically reciting her lines and doing what she was directed to do, but I didn't see much heart and didn't feel much out of the, her character. Thankfully, everybody else around her gave her the emotions that you were supposed to feel, but I wanted to get your take on Lenny and did you care for her at all? No, I hated her. I, I mean, I'll go <laughs> as far as that. both actress and character. I hated her. Um, a, a, as actress, obviously English is not her first language. Um, her accent was incredibly strong. It, it looked like she was reading lines of dialogue phonetically without understanding what the words meant. Uh, so as a character, I have no idea why John would fall in love with her. I mean, she's, uh, she is, uh, so disrespectful for, to him in the town in the, basically when they first arrive, she gives no consideration for the goodwill that they share with her as far as putting her up when they have nothing I mean, they literally yeah. came from Europe with nothing and they were begging to be able to find some place to live and stay and contribute to a community and a society. And they get a town and she's like, well, we must leave, you know, like, and it's like, cause you've been there a couple hours. I mean, it's just, it was, it was horrible, but uh, the, she was also poorly written because that, that, that conflict is resolved in about 10 minutes. I mean, it's, you know, the, the very next day it was just like, okay, no, we'll stay, you know, and then everything, then it's just wonderful to be there. She just wants to be there. But why John and her fall in love is to me was there was no believable love connection between the two of them. She, I mean, she'd be the last person I would think John would want to fall in love with. That was the most absurd part of the movie is they are waiting for rain to come to save their lives, literally. And as soon as it rains, these two characters basically fall in love with each other. Right. I, you take this magical moment that's supposed to happen with the rain to save this town, but yet now you're throwing this stupid love story into it with, I agree with you. She's not realistic. She's the love story's not believable. There's no reason for him to care about her other than the fact she's probably fresh meat. But even then it's like, okay, I can't buy this I, at all for any reason. And you just ruin this magical moment of the rain coming. And let's see where that goes to save these people. But nope, we got to have a Hollywood love story in the middle of it. Yeah, it, it was completely unbelievable to me. I did not, I did not buy off on it. And I thought, uh, I thought that was the weakest part of the film, which to be honest with you, I don't think was really an important part of the film. I mean, cause I, it, her fiance thing was such a thrown in, aspect of it to create you know, manufactured drama of like who should she choose you know and mm -hmm. where i'm sitting here should choose choose the the austrian guy <laughs> choose the austrian guy you know save this guy a life of you know bitterness <laughs> being married to a person who doesn't really appreciate anything right i agree well spencer charter is a longtime character actor who was featured in high sierra and the pride of the yankees <laughs> portrayed uh, John Phillips's chatterbox uncle in the town vet, uh, Dr. Nunk Atterbury. Uh, Nunk was a, the comic relief in this film, which was much, much needed at times, and especially given the primary storylines. Now, you've watched about as many John Wayne films as I have. 
can the Duke have a movie without a quirky side character like this? No. I mean, I, I honestly think that's an essential part of a John Wayne film. Although I think John Wayne's capable of comedy. Uh, he's, I don't know if he's comfortable with comedy. So it's easier for someone to be, play the little more absurd character such as Nunk in this, uh, than to have rewrite the dialogue to have John do that. Uh, so, I mean, he, I, I think it's just, it's easier for them to write that in as a second secondary character to add that, uh, you know, as, as you said, comic relief to a film and this film needed it. There was a lot of heavy drama in it, and he's about the only source of comedy in the entirety of the film. The scene in the pool hall, I absolutely loved. I mean, I just loved watching him taking uh, the doctor's beer and start drinking it. And he's like winking his eye at everybody going, Oh, this guy can't make a pool shot. This won't happen. And the doctor takes his years of experience again and years of playing pool and starts showing Nunk and everybody he has life experiences and Nunk just being the goofball and the whole thing was just brilliant. And then when they're on the wagon train or the convoy, if you will, him just talking the whole time, it was hilarious part of the movie because I think everybody's been on a road trip with somebody who's a chatterbox and you're just to the point of, can you please shut up? (laughs) It was fun part of the film. I enjoyed it. Well, we usually talk about controversies during these podcasts, and today's flick is actually tame by John Wayne standards. As we've talked about, uh, the film is pre-war, and these are refugees who came to America to avoid Nazi Germany's reign. So are seen as assets and can become successful immigrants. This is really no different from the farmers who work in Asheville Forks who must leave Oregon under the control of the U.S. government in a way, to better their lives. Plus, if this was truly an anti-Nazi propaganda film, like we've seen with other John Wayne films, we would have been provided with more than just one thing uh, scene in this one. So what is your thoughts on this? Were they trying to do an anti-Nazi film, or was that just tossed in because of the time period it was made? No, I think it was more tossed in because of the time period it was made. I, if this was going to be anti-Nazi, it would have been more pervasive throughout the entirety of the film. You only get that in that last sequence where uh, the fiance returns, Eric, and and he's so pro, you know, German at that point in time and talks negatively about their lives in the United States, which they wholeheartedly choose. I would say if any kind of propaganda to this film was probably to talk about is pro-immigrant, is that these people are running, you know, for their lives and can help us. And we need to be more accepting of it. If, and I'm sure, I mean, that was actually occurring at that time. So I'm not surprised that they made a film that was very similar to that. Yeah, that I, I agree. It seemed like, uh, based on what I was reading that Hollywood was trying to find ways to get, um, Nazi anti-Nazi films out there. I think this one even had its, title changed um uh because of it they were trying to get them out there but yet nobody was really ready to commit yet until the war happened and then everybody started going with whatever propaganda films they wanted to get out there but this one i i was sort of shocked it didn't go deeper i'm at an hour and 20 minutes i thought yeah maybe they could have added some more depth to the film and more of a story uh centering around all that but 
after it was all said and done, I'm sort of glad they didn't, but it was just odd that they didn't go further with it. No, I, I, I'm glad they didn't. I, I think they covered it enough for the purposes of the story they needed to, or wanted and needed to tell. Right. Yeah, I get you. Well, what are your final thoughts on Three Faces West and on a scale of one to five gold stars? How many do you give this film? As I said, it's a little bit different role for John Wayne. I mean, this he's post-stagecoach, so he's a, he's a name, but I would not be surprised if this film was going into development or even into production before Stagecoach came out in 39. So, you know, he wasn't the John Wayne that he eventually became the, you know, the legend, if you will. He, he plays a different kind of role. This is, I'm trying, I tried throughout the entirety of this to, you know, kind of judge the film for what it is. Cause I had expectations of what it was as a Western and it is not a Western. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it has a, some Western motifs like the convoy done with cars instead of, you know, um, covered wagons and things like that. But it, 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 it is not, it's not what a role that I'm traditionally like John Wayne to, uh, to be in as far as the film, it's okay. You know, it covers an area of, uh, in a time that, uh, is not covered in film very often. And when it has been covered, such as like grapes of wrath, it's done better, uh, with, and better acting, better writing, better production. It's, it's not a bad little film. It's just kind of, it's more of an asterisk. You know, this is a fairly short film, 78 minutes. So it it falls into this, almost the, 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 the vein of most of the, Wayne's thirties films of, you know, short hour length films. I wouldn't highly recommend it as a, a film that you need to see to, if you want to see the best of John Wayne, cause I don't think this is it. Um, but I don't think it, this was a film that needed to rely on John Wayne. You know, it was not, yeah. it was not hanging on his shoulders. There was, there was a supporting cast of actors and one, unfortunately who kept dropping it, but you know, they, they cast her for a reason. I don't know. Uh, but I, I would ultimately say it's, it's probably like a two star movie. Uh, it, it's not horrible. It's just, it, it, it looks and feels cheap and that's what it is. It's a cheap little film. Yeah. I, I'm one of those. I'm glad I watched it for whatever reason. I mean, this is not a John Wayne vehicle in the grand scheme of things. This is more of a Charles Coburn movie and a little bit of a, uh, Spencer charters movie. John Wayne probably has got as much material as Spencer Charters does in this one. And I can't stand uh, Lenny at all, so I won't go any further about that. But I just was glad to have seen this one. I thought it was a little bit different for the time period, the location, the whole Dust Bowl aspect of it. I mean, I know you live in a desert, so you're probably more familiar with uh, wind storms and things like that or dust storms than I ever will be. So... Uh, that was just a little bit, uh, unique and different for me. I really appreciated the upping of the, Hey, we still have to move West and find new land because we've the the land we've conquered here in North Dakota is going away. Uh, so we have to keep moving West and you know, that's part of American history is everybody just keeps moving West to find uncharted territory or territory they can exploit and live off of and that was still in this film so i agree i it, it's not a necessity to see this movie but it's still an interesting watch and i'm glad i actually saw this one even though i'm not 
always big on these hour long ones. Um, but they always seem to have something special in them that I do take out of them. And I really did enjoy watching Mr. Coburn in this one and the storyline that they tried to get into, but yet just sort of cut a little bit short, not, not a bad film. I'll give it a two and a half out of five myself. And I won't say you have to watch it, but if you get the chance to please go ahead and watch it. All right. It's time to mosey off into the sunset. So please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section on our website and rate it from one to five silver stars on that page as well. If there is a John Wayne film you'd like for us to review, please send us an email at comments at moviehousememories.com with your suggestion. Additionally, if you like today's review, you can find many, many more Sunday Seconds with the Duke episodes on moviehousememories.com YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I'm Chad. And I'm Patrick. Thanks again for listening. And remember, there's more to being a cowboy than just wearing the boots. podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme song for Sunday Seconds with the Duke, Guts, and Bourbon is brought to you by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Sunday Seconds with the Duke, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.